The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We're starting things off today, um, and I'm just thrilled to have uh, both of these guests in studio. Uh, to look at their history, you would likely believe that they could never be friends, let alone great friends, let alone write a book together or travel North America together. But they are a testament to finding forgiveness after hate. Arnold. Arno Michaelis has been on this show before. You'll remember in the late 1980s and early 90s, we've talked about this. He was a leader of a world, worldwide racist skinhead organization, but love and forgiveness shown by people he once hated helped turn his life around. We had a huge talk about that about a year ago when he joined us uh, in this studio. His story resonated with you. Uh, and Arno, welcome back. It's my pleasure, Jalen. Thanks for having me back. Nice to see you. Um, Pardeep Singh Kalika is also in studio today. Now, Pardeep's father was killed on August 5th, 2012 at the Sikh Temple in Wisconsin where he was president. Uh, his dad was one of six people who died that day in a shooting by a white supremacist, a member of the organization that Arno uh, helped form many, many years ago. Now, two months after the attack, Sinkalika reached out to Michaelis, who, as mentioned, has renounced, had renounced his former affiliations and had written a book called My Life After Hate. Sinkalika wanted to try to understand the shooter's motivation. Pardeep, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you here. Thank you for having me on, Jalen. Okay, so the two of you together are speaking uh, at McEwen uh, University this evening. Um, it's sold out. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. It has been seven years now since uh, Pardeep reached out to Arno. The two founded the organization, served to unite, and now travel, as I mentioned, North America sharing their story and this unlikely friendship. Pardeep, I want to start with you. Uh, Pardeep, reaching out to Arno that first time. What was that like? What was, I mean, it was two months. I mean, I thought it would have taken a lot longer than that, but you must have been terrified, angry, scared. Yeah, all of those things. Um, and when we reached out uh, after, I mean, two months uh, after the shooting, I think I was looking for answers. Yeah. The shooter at that time uh, killed six people, uh, one, of my, one of those people being my father and temple president, and then killed himself. So with him went the motives, the reasons. Um, and I was just, I think, I'm kind of built that way where I want to understand why somebody did something like this mm -hmm. so we can do the what. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, me reaching out to Arno was uh, me looking for answers. Arno, when you picked up, what, was, it a was it a phone call? Uh, I began with an email. Then we exchanged phone numbers, texted each other a little bit. <laughs> then we had a real kind of nervous phone call with the... Wait, oh, don't, wait, no, you go ahead. No, no, you say... And then uh, we agreed to meet for dinner the a few days later. So when you first received Pardeep's email, was that like a kick in the gut? Well, I, I was really excited from the get-go. I, I was very honored to hear from Pardeep, and I had been looking for ways to be of service to the Sikh community and especially to people who have lost loved ones in that attack. So I, I was very glad to hear from him and very honored. And at the same time, I was kind of intimidated mm -hmm. because I didn't really know what I could do. I, I didn't, I felt like nothing I could do would be enough. So that first dinner, or you, 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 you met, you texted, and you, you went out for, for dinner. Um, what, what did that look like? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. <laughs> That was, uh, I mean, it looked like a, a lot of different things, but um, 
I think we both were wrestling with, with you know, what are we going to say? Mm-hmm. Well, is this person going to be able to tell me what I need to know? Or what can I offer to this relationship? And I think, you know, we were coming from different places, but the same angst was there. And I think, you know, as a society, we kind of struggle with this. Right? We come from different places, and the angst is always kind of there, and you muddle through it. And so a lot of our first conversation was us muddling through how we felt and really when we when we revealed how we both felt we we said okay we share a commonality we, we and we knew from that time that really that first meeting um we were spiritually inclined to to work together going forward but me and arno are very much spiritually linked and so we were we were just obeying whatever that spiritual did that guidance surprise you? um no it did surprise me because i mean i, I think over time i mean i was 35 by this time so i had gone through a lot of different things within my life and i've been a father um husband a, a community member a police officer an educator yeah. and so all, all these life experiences kind of prepare you for it but i think at the same time nothing prepares you for that and so i was surprised yeah arno that connection was there right away for you as well Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, party of the type of guy where he's just so down to earth and so easygoing. I, I think most people who meet party just like feel like they're talking to an old friend they've known for a long time. But party and I in particular, I think there was a real connection. And uh, party was also very much set at ease by my choice of restaurant. <laughs> okay, and what was that? <laughs> so I asked him where he wanted to go, and I was kind of gauging his his decision because uh, if he said you know a burger place or something like that, I would have been like that's stereotypical white. Mm. But he, he said Thai restaurant. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, it put me at ease because I, I, I you know stereotypically I thought that you know white people white people can barely handle spicy food. <laughs> so you know if he's a, if he's still a white supremacist, he wouldn't have chosen that place. And you were and you were far from that uh, at this point, Arno. That journey that you took from from you know your teens into your into your early twenties. I mean mm-hmm. that um, that was years behind you. But you've continued to I think have to prove to people that uh, a tiger can change its stripes. Well, and I, I I welcome that. I never begrudge anyone who doubts me. I've I've done horrible things, and I should be doubted. So it, it's uh, I see it as an opportunity to um, really reflect and and make sure I'm doing the best job that I can and uh, kind of question uh, the um, impact of my work and, and make sure that it's uh, authentic and it's genuine. And uh, in that sense, it's an opportunity. Seven years um, have, have have passed now. And Pardeep, you mentioned that you know, you're a police officer, you're an educator, you knew, you're now a therapist as well. When you look at um, yeah, the, the, the race uh, issues in, in North America, uh, racism uh, around the world. And I asked Arno this, this question last time he was in, and I was surprised by his answer. So I want to ask you the same one. Do you think we are seeing more of it now, or are we just um, paying more attention to it? Are people feeling more comfortable in in, um, in in voicing those extremes? What do you think? I think all of those, I think we're, we're seeing more of it. I think more of it is happening. People are emboldened. Um, I think what we're facing right now is a byproduct of things that we did not face in the past. And whether that's in North America or worldwide, that we, you know, we, we talk about pain and unresolved trauma and, and uh, you know, 
trauma trauma is such that if you don't deliberately address it it doesn't it doesn't just get addressed so and that's that can be for our personal lives somebody that's gone through something you know we say time heals all wounds mm -hmm. uh no it doesn't <laughs> and sometimes trauma i mean time can actually make it worse and people can loop and i think that a lot of our culture that we exist in is our people trauma looping saying the same thing over and over and over again uh, but in different ways and so now as is, is, i mean as bad as it is to have the the president that we do have um i think it's an opportunity for us to grow mm. and and you know there's uh, there's uh, a lot of folks and i am not i don't even have the text line on right now who um even in 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 canada are 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 huge supporters of of president trump and um we've seen it even here in 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 canada during this election campaign where our Prime Minister, uh, who's running for re-election right now, old videos have have shown up of him in blackface mm. and brownface, um, and and it's like what the what is going on? What is going on here? I mean, it's it's it, it's it's head scratching uh, for for a lot of a lot of folks and um, owning up to your past actions and Arno you know you know about this very much um, is so important to do for so many people but a lot of people aren't doing that no a lot of people are not doing that and, and it is that and we all need to do it we all need to kind of look in the mirror and say hey what of this have I contributed to mm -hmm. by either deliberately contributing to it or really not saying what we needed to say within those moments within those discussions and i i would think that a lot of us have had discussions whether it's a, a punjabi indian person that talks about another race or another person and says okay when did i get away from understanding the humanity of this mm -hmm. other person mm -hmm. whether it's a white person who says well you know and i think a lot of it really centers around our primal sort of fear mm -hmm. of of the, you know the other and perceptually race is one of those dynamics that is very visual and so when we can see that and say how, the, how this person is different we can give sometimes justification to dehumanize that person there's going to be uh, people out there that saying you know it's just not white people who are racist they're not just white people out there who um, you know, hold um, views um, that may be contrary to what we'd, we'd like to think um, is is that do you think that 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 that's fair to say I mean it kind of covers all races I I think uh, everyone has or am biases. I just trying to am I trying to, to play nice here well I, I I think it's important to to be considerate of everyone and and to try to put ourselves in other people's shoes and as party points out very often it's easy to empathize and be put yourself in the shoes of someone who looks like you worships like you eats like you prays like you do but it's more difficult to do it for people who don't mm. and i i think it's important uh, to understand and so all people i believe all people have an equal capacity to harm or to heal but that being said western society for the past 500 years at least if not more so it, it's been predominantly white people in power overwhelmingly white people in power and I think when you have a situation where there's a certain demographic in power, it's it's the onus of that group to uh, make concessions. If if you want to have a society where everyone is valued and included, uh, and you're in a position of power, like you're you're the first one who should be taking the lead on that. And unfortunately, and, and a lot of white people do. 
um, throughout these 500 years of white supremacy, there's been white people dying to try to change it along with everyone else. But at the same time, there's a lot who don't. Mm. And as Party said also, it's, it's so much easier to look out a window than it is to look in the mirror. And I think that's where a lot of this political extremism comes from. And from either poll, it's it's easy to blame everyone else for what's wrong with the, the world. Extremism is on both sides. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's difficult to look in the mirror and say, what can I do to make the situation better? Arnold McCann is joining me in studio along with Pardeep Singh Kalika. Uh, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, you talked about trauma. And um, I want to talk about the importance of vulnerability. I know this is something that you talk about uh, in your presentation, certainly when it comes to um, people at risk and, and the importance of addressing that, looking that, and being able to express your vulnerability when it comes to healing and maybe directing people um, out of trouble. So let's talk about that right after this. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, Arnold Michaelis and Pardeep Singh Kalika joining me in studio. Um, the two of them, as as you've heard over the past 15 minutes, have, have quite the history together. They've gone on to uh, write a book together called The Gift of Our Wounds, A Sick and a Former White Supremacist Find Forgiveness after hate. Um, they travel together, um, do public speaking, sharing their story. And, and tonight is a part of um, the, it's the hate, uh, the, uh, it is part of Understanding Hate series. I want to make sure I have it right at McEwen uh, University. They're speaking there tonight. Uh, part of that presentation, uh, Pardeep and Arno, is about uh, vulnerability and allowing um, people to be able to show that they are vulnerable. Why is that so important when it comes to this topic, topic and certainly helping people who may be at risk? Mm. It's, I mean, it's important because that's where we learn, when, we, when we're vulnerable enough to learn. Um, I, I'll go back to when I was a police officer in, in the city of Milwaukee, and I was a police officer in one of the roughest neighborhoods in Milwaukee. Um, I thought that I had a sense of control. And oftentimes when we feel insecure, we, f- we want to control. We want to control the environment. We want to control the narrative. We want to be able to control, but but uh, but life is such that we're seldom in control, and so that that's that that is life. And you know, sometimes we talk about when we, intellectually, we have the safe place, mm-hmm. and the safe place is you know our home or our friends that we can go to, and then the world is a scary place. Right in the middle of that is this vulnerable place, which we call the sacred space, mm-hmm. and that's different for every person. Somebody might be able to navigate that space for a longer period of time, and some shorter. But we need to stay engaged in that sacred space and that vulnerable space to be able to grow as as a society. I, looking back at um, at your teenage years and what you, what led you down that that initial path, mm-hmm. um, vulnerability I don't think was something necessarily that that you had in in your world. No, not at all. And and I think it's a it's a very common thing for all men. Um, we, we live in a society, and, and this is true everywhere on earth, we, we live in, in societies where it's frowned upon for men to even acknowledge their vulnerabilities, much less reveal them. And the truth is, is we all have vulnerabilities, and when we are in denial of that, we expend a, a huge amount of energy trying to put up this front that you're invulnerable that there's nothing wrong with Mm -hmm. you, that nothing can hurt you. And I I believe that's a huge driver of violence across the board, and it certainly is for violent extremism. Arno, um, I'm not sure I realized last time that you had a daughter. Yeah. That you you had a daughter. What do you tell your daughter about your history? 
Well, my daughter is uh, will be 27 very <laughs> shortly. So, uh, what she, did you tell your daughter then? <laughs> she's uh, my daughter found out about my past when she was 11 years mm. old. She, I was uh, or she was 18 months old when I left hate groups in 1994, and uh, she found out from uh, her half sister's cousins that all of their parents were neo Nazis, yeah. and uh, she didn't believe it when she heard it from them. And, and she came home and was kind of scoffing to me. And she's like, Dad, Scotty said you were a neo-Nazi. Like, she just felt that, that was an impossibility. And when I had to tell her that was true, it was at once the one of my most difficult moments as a father because she looked at me in, in disgust. She was just absolutely disgusted with me. How'd you get past that? Uh, How'd she get past that? It took a few days. She didn't talk to me for a few days. Yeah. And so it, as it was a difficult moment, it was also one of my proudest moments, knowing that it, for all the mistakes I've made as a father, which are many, many, um, I was very proud to have raised a child who found the idea of racism and hatred and anti-Semitism like that unacceptable. Uh, so she didn't talk to me for a few days. Those days really hurt. But then she came back and she's like, what, what? But how? And I, I basically told her the same story I know tell for a living, yeah. and uh, we we kind of worked it out since then. And and today she's uh, very proud of me, and um, I it, I have to meet all her boyfriends before they <laughs> they get to take next steps. And if they can't look me in the eye, then that's yeah. a that's a sign that they're not going to be able to. Not be not could be good enough for her. So <laughs> that's how that works. When we talk about uh, sharing your story, which which you do, and you're and you're doing this evening, um, how how what do you hear back? Have have you heard about how it's helped others? How it's opened people's eyes, Pardeep? Yeah, I mean, you, you hear about how, uh, and sometimes you go to a talk, and you're you're talking to a corporate culture, or you're talking to a culture that you might not think that would understand the role of empathy, vulnerability, forgiveness, compassion, all these things. But, you know, you, you, you understand that people genuinely need hope in their life and they need to find a way to get up the next day. We're bombarded with, you know, negative news. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the truth in life. You, we know that typically on a day-to-day basis, the good Lord makes, makes the world go round and things typically go right. But we, 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 you know, we think that everything is going wrong, and we need to be deliberate about about giving people hope. And you know what, Arno? I know that you've um, talked to. Uh, I think last time you were in town, you were here. You know, just checking in on someone who was, you know, at at risk and who, right. and, and 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 how when you when you're talking with someone like that, you can't like beat them over the head and say, "Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this." Right. Um, but you sharing your story and and in your journey, obviously, has has helped divert people off that path as well. Yeah, for me, it really boils down to faith in humanity. Just kind of another way to, to mm-hmm. phrase what Party just said. It's it's that when when you see people, it's pretty elementary. If you if you're joining a hate group, you clearly don't have faith in humanity. <laughs> yeah. that's it's just logic. And uh, and then the actions of all these groups are meant to destroy that faith in humanity. And and that goes for the so-called Islamic State, just as it does for white nationalists. Mm-hmm. Like all these attacks, all their rhetoric is meant to destroy everyone else's faith in humanity. It's like they're in this dark place. They want to drag everyone else down there with them. 
And so a, a real important um, intention of mine is to try to help restore and or maintain people's faith in humanity. Forgiveness after hate, forgiveness itself can be very, very difficult, party, mm-hmm. can't it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as we ask, I think as we ask other people to go on their forgiveness journey, I think uh, it is very complex. And, you know, I've worked with sexual assault clients. I've worked with people who have gone through incredible journeys themselves or on the beginning of those journeys and i'm very careful as to prescribe mm-hmm. forgiveness and what that what that looks like for them yeah i do want to say that it, it is worth a shot and, and and maybe this you know after their anger is, is a great emotion too you got to allow that to happen so when we're when we're faced with all these things it is very complex and, and it is yeah but it is a journey that i think is worth taking are you still on a journey of forgiving yourself Oh, absolutely. My, I'll be on a journey of self-forgiveness to to the grave and into whatever happens next. Um, and I'm happy about that. It's it's a process, and if you can love the process of life for good, bad, especially ugly, then you kind of win life. So I, I I embrace my journey of self-forgiveness, and it's also very important to me because when I'm working with people who are trying to make changes in their lives, and, and very often self-forgiveness is part of that process, I can meet them as a fellow practitioner and uh, help guide them along that path. Arno and Pardeep speaking tonight at McEwen University, as I mentioned, as part of their Understanding Hate series. I did also mention it is sold out, but you can go on a waiting list. If you check out the McEwen website and, and, and Google that Understanding Hate series, you'll find it there. Uh, by, by the way, again, their book is called The Gift of Our Wounds, A Sick and a Former White Supremacist, Find Forgiveness After Hate. Thank you for continuing to share your story and and, and sharing that message of, of forgiveness and, and love. It's so very important and even more more so today than I think it was 20 years ago. So thank you, Pardeep Arnold. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you, Jalen. Thank you, Jalen.